Hey there, CPG founders! Are you tired of trying to figure out what's really driving consumers to choose and buy better-for-you food and beverage CPG products? If you answered yes and want to get into the minds and hearts of your customers, then we have something for you. You should check out our free ebook, Cracking the Code, where you can find six core insights that motivate consumers to buy products like yours. This is available for a limited time only, so be sure to get your copy now. Go to your browser and type in thevineyardbc.com slash freebook. That's thevineyardbc.com slash freebook. Brandstar Goes Healthy features founders and CEOs of healthy food and beverage CPG companies who share their biggest successes, hardest failures, strategic learnings, and tactical tips so you can learn from them and help you avoid mistakes and instead succeed in building your own healthy food and beverage brands. If you lead a vegan, plant-based, organic, all-natural, functional, and other healthy food and beverage CPG company, then this show is for you. Hosted by Leonard Grape founder and CEO of The Vineyard, the brand development company for the healthy food and beverage CPG industry. Hey everybody, my name is Leonard Grape and welcome to another episode of the Brand Start Goes Healthy podcast. For today's conversation, I'm talking to Kamal Jarrett, the founder and CEO of Hillside Harvest, a Caribbean American sauce and condiment company that specializes in crafting deliciously dynamic flavors from only a few natural ingredients. Kamal, welcome to the show. Hey, Leonard. Thanks for having me. Before we get going, can you please tell us a brief background about yourself and what you do? Um, yeah, as you stated, I'm the founder of Hillside Harvest. We're a Caribbean-inspired sauce and condiment company uh, based out of Boston, Massachusetts in the U.S. Um, I started this company back in 2019. Uh, before that, I was working for a number of years at Keurig Dr. Pepper working on product development. Um, so I have that background. And previous to that, I was working at Olympus, um, working with medical devices. And previous to that, I was working in the financial industry. So I've had a very <laughs> long and serpentine career getting experience in in very different um in very different spaces. But it's all kind of been relevant in starting your own business, having that finance background, having a sales background, and then finally having a product development background. It's all kind of come together with Hillside. agree. And that's an interesting background that you have. Very varied and very dynamic. Uh, I think having that experience would, would really help you start your own business. And this is where I really want to start officially my question, uh, which I love to ask all the guests that come to this podcast. How did your brand start? I mean, how did you get into the natural sauce and condiment business, Kamal? Yeah, so for me, um, you know, coming from a large CPG company like uh, KDP, w what I was able to gain confidence in was just developing products and entering them into kind of um, mature markets. You know, coffee market is is a very mature market as well. Um, and when I looked at the space and opportunities, I had always wanted to to start a business. I I went to Babson for my graduate uh, education, and and there it's very focused on entrepreneurship, very focused on looking at at opportunity across different spaces. And so even while I was working at Keurig, I was looking at places where I could potentially go out on my own. Um, and I looked at you know CPG, and I looked at grocery in particular, and I really. I really enjoyed working in that space and I saw that there was a gap 
you know, for me, I wanted to have some deeper connection to the product that I eventually would launch. Um, and so for me, launching in a space that didn't have a lot of Caribbean um, representation was really important. So as I would look in the grocery, uh, in any grocery um, channel, I would see, you know, some remnants of Caribbean inspiration and products, but typically you'd find them in the quote unquote ethnic aisle or the international aisle, which is very limited. It's These are great you know, areas of the supermarket, but they're very limited to only a few products and they're trying to, you know, capture a large number of countries in one aisle in a grocery store. And it's, it's near impossible, right? So there's not a ton of representation. And then if you go down the beverage aisle or the chips aisle or the condiments aisle, you wouldn't really see that same level of international representation there, right? And so, um, you know, and particularly when thinking of Caribbean inspired foods, I didn't see a lot of that. And so I wanted to create a platform business that could, you know, fill that gap. And for me, I wanted to start in one particular category first and kind of work our way up, which we're currently starting to do. Um, and, you know, back in 2019 and still hot sauce was extremely, extremely booming. It's extremely popular. It's, tr it was trending. Um, and it's still, uh, driving a lot of growth in the sauce and condiment market. It's a very competitive space, but I felt that, you know, with everything else, brand is 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 pretty important. And I felt like I had the background of, of knowing how to build a brand and that would give me somewhat of a leg up in that category. Um, and and so, you know, the the it's competitive because the barriers to entry are fairly low. So I knew that was this was something that I could build fairly quickly. And they just focus on the brand. Um, and so that's what we did. We we folk, we made sure that we had high quality ingredients, that we were leveraging inspiration from the Caribbean to create uh, flavors that were unique and interesting to consumers. And then really focusing on the brand work um, to really just make sure that we can capture as much opportunity here in the New England area as possible as we slowly grow into other regions. And ideally, as we look, you know, five to 10 years down the line, We'd like to incorporate other categories into this portfolio outside of sauces. But for right now, we're just taking care of sauce and trying to build a brand here. And then that'll be an entry point for other category, other categories that we expand into, you know, later on down the line. That's an interesting take, Kamal, because usually as a entrepreneur, the base really is you find a gap in the market. And I think two ways that you can do that would be either you innovate and launch a new category, or you go into a mature market, as you said. But the thing in a mature market, like you mentioned this, in the condiments and sauces space, it's such a highly crowded category. So I want to allude to what you said, that for you, one of the main strategy, aside from the fact that seeing that there's no enough representation on the Caribbean-inspired products culturally, is to make sure that you're thinking about the brand. What was your sure. thought process in, in that note? Kamal, because didn't it intimidate you that you're going into such a highly crowded category? So what, what was your thought process there? And how did you approach your brand development strategy for Har Hillside Harvest? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was I was always taught, you, you know, you you eat an elephant one bite at a time, right? <laughs> and so yeah, that's right. and so for us, you know, or for me looking at the the category, I didn't I, you know, it was very easy. You could get very intimidated by looking. You have all these humongous brands in the space, and then you have even more craft brands that are just flooded the space. Um, but 
for because it was more important for me to take care of you know the, quote unquote my backyard first make sure that we create a brand that resonates with the new england consumer first um that's all i focused on so it was it was strictly like what's in boston what are the brands in boston you know and and massachusetts and let's focus on how we can be competitive in one state in one country in one area first um and as we get more notoriety then we'll start to recreate the brand to be more competitive on a regional basis and now we're in our you know we're in our fourth year and now we're looking at okay now we're 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 beyond new england we're in new york we're in jersey we're in we're going into the midwest we're going into the mid atlantic now it's becoming more like okay what how do we position our brand against a more um a more uh a, a broader uh broader a broader competitive base but it's still trying to to compartmentalize so it's not all hot sauces right it's not hot sauces in 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 stop and shop necessarily or conventional grocery it's it's let's look at the natural uh grocery uh, uh aisle and make sure that we're being competitive in that space so it's really just trying to be as targeted and specific as possible as we grow and because i came from a, a cpg brand that literally rebranded almost it felt like every year <laughs> it was very easy <laughs> for me to go ahead and say you know what what we are today you know our core reason for being won't change, but what we are mm -hmm. in terms of a brand standpoint will, can change multiple times, right? Our look, our feel, how we like, how we compete, how our, how we sound can definitely change as we become broader and broader in terms of our, the consumer base that we're touching. So it really was start first on just who's in the Boston market. What do their labels look like? Mm -hmm. How are they talking? What are they positioned like? And so how do we want to differentiate from that? And then let's go attack the Boston market. And then as we got bigger, it became, okay, well, who's outside of that market and who, do, how are they speaking and who are their con consumers, who are their shoppers and how do we speak to that? Um, so it's really, it's just attacking it step by step and, and being comfortable with knowing that who you are today may change as your consumer change and as your target kind of shifts. I love that, Kamal, because in, in my company, The Vineyard, we're a brand development company for, for the industry. And one thing that we always reinforce and emphasize is the importance of brand. And I sort of wrote this framework, which I call the four quadrants of brand development. And the first thing that I wrote there would really be audience. So I think you you did a very interesting strategy, not even thinking about like the larger scale of scope, but really just focusing on the locality that you're in because that's that's really focusing on on an audience, right? So if you get right. to understand that, how can you come in there? Um, you, you'll have a higher chance of winning, uh, eating the elephant piece by piece, as you mentioned, uh, even if it's such an intimidating space. Be before I move to the next question, I also just want to ask now, so in, in terms of your branding, your product, how are you now positioning Hillside Harvest to become a preferred product compared to other brands? Like, what's your main differentiation now, Kamal? Yeah, so we're, we're actually literally going through a brand refresh as we speak. I have a, a meeting tomorrow um, with an agency that we've been working with for the past six weeks. And so, um, and they'll be presenting new concepts to us for our, our refresh label and and kind of our, and we're working on our new brand language and things like that. What we're, what we're doing 
Um, if you look, if you take a look at what we've done for the past four years, it's kind of been on the fringe of being, yes, we've been inspired by the Caribbean, but it's been mostly muted in terms of our packaging. If you look at our packaging today, it's very premium, it's very upscale, but it's, it's, you know, it doesn't scream Caribbean. It's minimalistic. Um, and really the, the driving point was kind of what I alluded to earlier, you know, the leading hot sauce in New England had a white label. So we decided to go with a black label <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, you know, it's as simple as that. And so a lot of the driving factors um, and that, that business is no longer in, in production. They're no longer in production. Right. And so a lot of the things that were relevant four years ago are no longer uh, the case. And so what we're leaning into as we go into our next, you know, hopefully four years and beyond is, is a little heavier in terms of really leaning into the Caribbean aspect. So, for us, you know, Caribbean doesn't mean like extreme, like authenticity is a word that's used a lot. Right. And so for mm-hmm, us, mm-hmm. I'm someone who was born in Jamaica, but majority of my life I spent here in the in the States. And so my perspective of Caribbean may be different than someone who spent all of their life in Jamaica or someone who has Jamaican parents and lived all their life here. Right. So we all have different experiences And so authentic really doesn't mean anything to me. It just means for me, I need to be respectful uh, about where, you know, the cultural elements that are moving the decisions that we're making. But for me, Caribbean means about the emotion, the things you feel when you think of the Caribbean, the life, the color, the people, the music, the laughter. And so that kind of energy is what we're trying to impart into our brand going forward. So it's not so much that everything, the jerk has to taste exactly like the jerk you have that you've Mm -hmm. had on the island, right? It's more like the feeling that you get from our brand, the feeling, the emotion that we elicit needs to feel like you are back on the islands, right? And so that's that's kind of what we're leaning into. So our messaging that you'll see come out and our visuals that you'll see come out will lend itself more to that vibrant energy that you think of when you think of the Caribbean. And that's what we're leaning into a lot more now um, that we weren't ready for when we initially started. Love that, Kamal. And to me, that's the core essence of doing brand development. The highest level of differentiation is when you get to establish that emotional registry that your brand would have resonating with your target audience. So thank you for sharing that. Now, let's talk about product development. You just started with two product lines, right? What were these flavors, Kamal? Yeah, when I initially started, it was our original hot pepper. That was my first sauce. And then our pineapple Fresno hot sauce. So those were two hot sauces that we launched with back in 2019. Um, You know, fast forward a couple months, we got a lot of feedback. Those were two sweeter sauces, sweet heats. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we got a lot of feedback that people wanted something a little bit more savory. And so we launched later on that year, we launched our Sunkissed Tomato, which is today our our top selling hot sauce. Um, And then uh, about a year after that, or maybe a year and a half after that, you know, people were asking for a jerk marinade. And so mm-hmm. the marinades are great for from a business perspective because it's it's higher velocity. And from a cultural perspective, like people think of jerk when they think of, of the Caribbean or Jamaica in particular. And so it, it felt good launching a jerk and owning 
owning that that product uh, at least here in the region because mm -hmm. um there aren't any other there isn't any other representation in that region in this region for that and so um it felt like a really good launch and it, it was well um well received in our in our region here and at, at whole foods and beyond and so um that was awesome and then just recently this year we launched another hot sauce probably our last for a while until we um you know exploring other areas is our carrot escovitch which again rooted in in caribbean culture escovitch is a, a preparation of like pickling onions and peppers and carrots and and pimento seeds and you pour it over fish or chicken and so that those dishes and those feelings and those tastes i wanted to recreate that in a new way and we created that in a in a sauce but we made carrot the hero um carrot's not a it's an it's an element that you see in some hot sauces but it's not typically the lead element and so we wanted to be a little bit different in that state so we've just been you know a lot of it because it it started with me has just been my you know i'm in the kitchen kind of just thinking of ideas and then i uh -huh. take it to i take it to our commercial kitchen i scale it and then i take it to our co-pack and i'm like all right let's go um you know, as we get to be a little bit bigger, that may have to slow down. We might have to take a little bit more <laughs> <laughs> into the development process, maybe an MPD process or something. But, but yeah, the development process to to date has just been I'll I'll eat something, or I'll go back I'll go back to Jamaica for vacation and I'll I'll be inspired by something, and or I'll travel just anywhere in the Caribbean. Like uh, next week, I'm going to Puerto Rico. I'm sure that I'll get some ideas while I'm there, and. It may take a couple of years before we actually launch, but that between that time, like my core love and enjoyment is just exploration. And so, you know, prior to this, I was in product development and I love that, you know? Mm -hmm. And so um, I'll take little bits of, of things that I experience across, you know, the course of a year and I'll see how we can recreate it in our own way um, for our consumers. And so, you know, that's the part of the business that I love the most is just, is getting ideas, getting inspired and incorporating it into our, into our business portfolio. So starting with two products and I, I love how you just described your, your product lines. I can almost taste it. Come on. Uh, and then expanding into different product lines. So you shared some, some key thoughts there, but I, I want to zero in on what are the main considerations that you check first? Like you should have these things before really going on product development mode and launching new items. Yeah. I mean, the, the key thing is um, one of the things that I learned from my previous life at CPG is that my, my opinion only matters to build concepts. Right. And then, and then from, at, from the point at which we build concepts, it really becomes more of a, a, a game of understanding what the consumer wants. So from okay. a flavor profile, I'm typically trying to hone in on something that has brought me some level of inspiration um, but that's very loose. And so even during that initial stage of development, you have to be willing to shift, whether it's flavors, whether it's heat, whether it's whatever. Um, and so bringing in some form of consumer feedback in early on in the stages is very important. So what I typically am looking for is early acceptance from even a, even directionally from a non-statistically significant set of, of people. And so for us, we leverage farmers markets. We leverage events usually when we're when we're building out new product lines, um, and so we'll bring out concepts very early in the stage, get feedback, and then kind of take it back to the drawing board. But even before that, you know, when thinking about 
you know, the 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 marinades for in particular, it's it's looking at it's even as granular as looking at, you know, the 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 size, the package size of the jars and how is that going to be used? What's the use case? How are they going to use it? Are they going to use the whole jar or are they going to use half of the jar? You know, how are mm -hmm. we how are we going to sell this in? Are people looking at the shelf? Is this different from what they expect from a marinade? Is this different what they expect from a sauce? Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? So you try to put again your you try to take off your owner hat or your your researcher hat or your scientist hat whatever the case may be and put on your consumer hat and really try to go through the the path of of the shopper the path of the consumer and understand if this idea that you have this concept is it sellable is it is it attractive to a consumer or a buyer for example is it mm -hmm. completely disrupt the shelf in a good way or a bad way if that's the case um and then once you've kind of honed in those things, you build out concepts based on on kind of those ideas. And then you truly want to get initial feedback um, because it's great if you have an amazing idea, but nobody likes it in terms of the taste, but you love it. Then you have an idea that should just stay in your fridge and not go out into the market. <laughs> and so, <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I mean, for me, it's, it's really just about kind of the consumer is at the forefront of everything I do. Um, so whether that's trying to understand that, that path when we're, when we're building out the product down to the packaging and the use case, um, or it's when we've actually built out concepts and, and trying to get feedback on actual taste and acceptance and purchase intent. Um, you know, that was something that was pretty much ingrained in me at Keurig was, mm -hmm. was that my opinion does not matter. My opinion only matters when building out the concept. And then from that point on, it becomes a consumer game. And what what does the consumer want? And being an advocate for the consumer is the surefire way to make sure that you have a good product. Totally agree. 100%. It's really always going back to, to the focus on the consumers. If, if you just do that, I think most of the time you, you'll hit things right. Uh, I also want now to go in terms of how you got your products into the retail. Uh, you're now available in Whole Food Markets and other big retail stores, right? So I, I'm curious to ask, Kamal, how did you get your products on the shelves of these retail stores? And very quickly, what's at what stage of your business did you really push for this? Yeah, I mean, when I started, I started really focusing on wholesale. Uh, and so, again, because we wanted to take care of the local the local customers first the even before i did a lot of a lot of business owners especially in food they start with farmers markets or they start with pop of events and things like that we kind of did it the opposite way where i was working full time right so i didn't have time to do a bunch of farmers markets during the week or what have you so it was on the weekend or you know i'd skip work early on friday sorry for any of my bosses out there listening um <laughs> but you know, I'd take off early on Friday and I would go and sell. I would go sell into liquor stores or to specialty stores and um, and try to get wholesale customers right off the bat. And and so for me, it was great because that gave me validation right there. And so I got very accustomed to just going in and doing cold calls, cold dropping in, leaving a sample and then following up and trying to get a sale. Um, as you get into larger um you know, retailers that have multiple stores, it becomes, you know, it, it becomes harder to do, you know, the drop in. And so you'd find out who the buyer is, or in the case of Whole Foods, the forager, and, you know, be respectful, but send a bunch of emails and, and <laughs> samples. Um, and it took us, it took us about a year and a half to get into Whole Foods. You know, it was, it wasn't a one-time thing. And um, I think there's this rule of three, right? Where, 
a lot of buyers or in any kind of deal, um, you'll hear VCs talk about this as well, where if they get told about a product three times and they'll typically, you know, they'll take a flyer on it. Right. So if you, if you approach them and then all of a sudden they hear about you three times from other people in their network, then that's typically a sign that maybe they should take a, a closer look. And I think for Whole Foods, I'd approach the forager once uh, or maybe twice. <laughs> and, <laughs> and and then, you know, I was, I was working with an incubator and they had approached her about us. And then one of my advisors was um, consulting to another uh, food brand and during a meeting mentioned us to her as well. And so it was like, all right, fine. Yes. Okay. Send me some samples and just tell everybody to leave me alone. (laughs) 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 And so, um, and so, and so we did and they loved it and it was amazing. And we got in within, you know, months of that, of those samples getting sent. And so you know, I say that to say anyone who's listening who has a food business and looking, just be persistent and and don't be afraid to tell people what you're doing and and get other people on your side. I mean, a lot of times if you have advocates who love your product, they're going to tell people. And then, you know, we the food business, especially here in the States, is very is as big as it may sound. Everybody seems to know everyone. <laughs> and so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the more people you show your stuff to and the more the more people that get behind your brand, the better. Um, but continue to knock on doors. Um, and, and, and a no just means not right now. And, and, you know, buyers are always rotating their ideas and and looking for new things. And so for this season, that might not be a great fit, but next season they may bring you in. And so that's, that's kind of been my, my path has just been to be direct and, and offer everybody who wants one a sample and, you know, continue to knock on doors and we've gotten lucky, but a lot of that luck has just come from being persistent. I love that, Kamal. And I'm sure other healthy FNB CPG food founders would really identify to that. So thank you for sharing that, Kamal. Now, interestingly, you started with, with the retail first strategy. And the other side of the spectrum to that, which I heard you mention as one of your growth levers for Hillside Harvest when you did Entrepreneur Elevator Pitch, which congratulations, by the way, is really also tapping the D2C space. So what are you looking in that note? I mean, how are you looking at direct-to-consumer as a growth strategy for Hillside Harvest? Because I've talked to other healthy F&B founders, and usually they'd focus also on getting into retail, right? And some would say that D2C would really be challenging and the margins are not there. But in your case, you're now, you started with retail, but you're very intentional to make sure that you leverage on D2C. Why is that important for you? What's your perspective in pushing your brand in D2C, Kamal? Hey, CPG founders. Coming in for a quick break. You need to stop building a website for your brand. If all it will say are things about your product. DTC is a powerful way to gain customers and build loyalty, but if your messaging is more I than you, more product features than product value, then you're missing out big time. The better for you food and beverage, CPG World doesn't need another boring, self-centered website. And you definitely don't need one too. What you want is an e-commerce site that attracts and engages customers and makes them want to buy your product. Let us help you make this happen through brand development expertise. Reach out to us to discuss a project by heading on to www.thevineyardbc.com. Now, back to the conversation. Yeah, I think 
for us, because it's such a competitive space, D2C provides an opportunity to to scale trial. Every year I learn something new. And so last year, I think I was a little bit more naive about my uh, how how successful we would be <laughs> be untapping D2C. D2C is definitely difficult, right? But um, when we do get wins, the wins are are big. And so we, it's it's one of those things where um, you kind of have to keep at it, but it's extremely expensive. You have to have the know-how. And so hiring people or getting help in that space is key. You know, for us, because again, it's so competitive, we've seen brands that have done really well. You know, hot sauce is is as 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 much as we are a premium product, as much as condiments are, you know, well um accepted now and people are exploring and and the consumer is much like the craft beer consumer where they have multiple um uh products in their fridge. There's, there's, we can see that there's, you know, there's, there's a world for it in, in D2C. People gift it. It's still, it's still somewhat of a novelty item as well, right? So people mm-hmm. gift it, um, you know, there are shows about it. It's part of the zeitgeist now with, with, with hot ones. And so there's a path on D2C where if you do it right, you can, you can create a really great, you know, um, subset of people of evangelists that can help you as you scale your your wholesale side of your business. At least that's how I envision it. But it's very difficult. And because we have a small group, you know, that what I pitched on elevator pitch is kind of shifted where it's like, all right, if we only have X amount of resources, let's put it towards wholesale because we've proven that we can win in wholesale and we've proven that we can we can get, you know, X amount of accounts each month. Um, D2C is tough, but I, I still want to crack the code. I think the brands that have cracked the codes, I have friends in the industry who've done a really great job. Some of them have, have leveraged things like have leveraged media, right? Like, so Mm -hmm. hot ones or Oprah, or they've gotten like really great, um, write-ups, uh, from really great magazines or media outlets that have helped them to build their online marketplace. Um, so we're still working at it because it's, it's something that we think we can, you know, even if we don't have those, those, though, that level of support for media, I think places like Amazon or Fresh Mart, like there's, there's so many retail outlets that, that consumers are going to for hot sauce. Um, and if we can t- crack that code, we think we can be a strong player in, in that space. And so the, to answer your question in a, the longest way possible, we haven't figured it out yet, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but. <laughs> But but I do feel like, you know, every every food brand is looking for ways to to scale the trial or scale tasting. And we feel like if we can build a strong D2C brand on top of, you know, a wholesale presence that that can that can help that could only help our wholesale business. Now, truthfully, I think food service is probably a stronger component to that. We think that food service probably is an easier lift from a resources mm-hmm. standpoint. And um, it's it's one of those things where, you know, it's, again, not as uh, the margins aren't there, but you're also not the the effort isn't as as much as, you know, we're not doing a ton of promotions. We're not doing tastings. We're not doing anything. You're kind of just you're kind of just selling in mm-hmm. and getting the benefit of of the of the establishment kind of marketing for you. And so I, I would say since that pitch, um, my focus has been more about building out our food service business than it has been kind of D to C. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still want to crack the D to C code. I think there's something there. Um, 
but yeah, it, you know, everything is really just trying to build the trial or scale the trial occasion to to bolster our our wholesale business. Yeah, and I love how you term that scale to trial or trial scale uh, in terms of using D2C. And you're correct, it's still an online space if you can leverage both aspects or find a strategic outlook on how you're going to leverage your D2C e-commerce space. I think that would still benefit your your business overall. A few more questions, Kamal, before we wrap things up. So you started your business in 2019. I want to talk about um, how are you doing so far in terms of revenue growth? Where are you at and what's the goal for you? Yeah, I won't get into specifics on where we're at. I mean, if you could you could listen to the 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 elevator pitch and see where, where we go. Where okay, we are. But, fair enough. But 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 I mean, we have we have had significant growth year over year. You know, we're under a million dollars, right? We're not we're not anywhere near where we want to be yet. Um, and again, we're we're we've been really regional focused for the past you know three and a half years. I think the the past six months is where we've started to kind of look at opportunities outside of new England. And so we, we, you know, it's interesting with, with sauce because the velocity, the velocity of the category is slower than, you know, you know, beverage or snacks or what have you. So a lot of times the, the guidance that you'll get if you're a food brand is to, you know, stick to a small number of stores and kind of build those out and get as much velocity work on your velocity and kind of figure that out. And you can become a million dollar brand in one, in one very small region, right? Because you have the repeat purchases, you have all mm-hmm. these things going for you. I think with sauce, it's a little different. You still do have to absolutely understand what drives velocity, but there's there's more of a ceiling, right? Because people just aren't going to eat sauce. Like they're not going to go through a bottle a day, right? And yeah, so yeah. <laughs> it's a little it's a little different. And so we kind of have to also always have our eyes on on kind of outreaching broader than, or maybe going out broader quicker than other brand other other categories do. Um, and so that takes that takes that takes money, but that also takes that takes time because no matter what, anytime you open up another region, it's like starting a business over again. And so, um, and so from our perspective, you know, we haven't really taken on any any real funding yet. And so we've just been kind of try or I've just been really focused on trying to understand the landscape and what makes us tick, how to influence trial with promotion, how to how, you know, ship, how working with conventional grocers are different from working with natural grocers and doing all that before we think about kind of scaling the brand even beyond that. Um, but I think once we get out of 2023, I'd hope, I, I hope the, the lending and the, um, the angel and VC networks starting mm-hmm. to loosen up their cash a little bit more yeah. um, because we are looking to grow and we are looking to to kind of use a lot of the learnings that we've had over the past four years to then initiate some, some significant growth. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're, we're still a fairly, you know, small company in terms of revenue and we're still kind of in this learning phase um, where we're being sustainable and trying to figure things out. Uh, but ideally, we'd bring on some investment dollars and start to grow that a bit. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Kamal. Now, leading to your goals, 
And and you've mentioned this several times, even during your pitch, that you're still in the early stages. So I'm really rooting for you. And you're right. Hopefully, when the economy eases up a little bit, when things are more positive in terms of outlook, you can really get that drive for growth that you're looking at. But right now, what do you think is the biggest roadblock for you that's that's making it challenging for you and your business to reach your goals for Hillside Harvest? Yeah, I think the the... Yeah, it's difficult. I mean, it's probably not just for me. It's for a lot of small businesses, but, you know, access to capital and understanding the right level of capital, not just access to capital, but understanding the whole landscape and how to navigate angels and and VCs and things of that. And, and, you know, a lot of us come into this business, especially when we're starting from scratch. I mean, I started from myself making the sauce in a commercial kitchen to now working with co-packers, right? So a lot of people start with co-packers because they're bringing on investment from the jump. And I, it was important for me to understand the like every little aspect, because just, I, I like under, understanding everything before, you know, giving it, giving the job to someone else to do. And so, because of that, you know, we're starting at kind of the micro level. Um, there's just so much to learn. And and then when when trying to find funding, there's just so much that you realize you don't understand or don't know. So not just access, but understanding what's the right, what's what's right for you, what's the right type of funding for you, I think is is kind of a challenge, or at least there's a learning curve along that. I, I would say though, ultimately just cash in general. And then, and then bandwidth. I'm a, I'm a one person band at the moment. Um, this year, we brought on some part time help for marketing. A, a colleague of mine that worked with me at Carrig is helping me with marketing. And then I brought on my my fractional CFO in February. But up until this, it's it's been me. Um, wow. And so yeah, and so there's there's literally and I, I think prior to that, I experienced some real burnout um last year right and and so that's a major major hit that i think a lot of a lot of smaller brands are experiencing especially if they're if it's one or two people it's just there's so much to do especially as you look at growth and and once you start you know trying to achieve growth through fundraising now you're taking time away from the everyday business to go fundraise right and now things are falling and now there's conflict and now that you know now your wife is pregnant and now and like you know i mean everything like life doesn't stop and so um you know evaluating what's important to you and understanding how how quickly you can get things going with help and how you can afford help and and where to put your cash it's it's there's not one thing it's just a total <laughs> look starting a food business is a grind whoever's looking to do it just make sure you have the mental you know, fortitude and the financial fortitude to, mm-hmm. to handle it. Um, but yeah, I would I would say the two number one things for uh, for me is 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 you know cash and 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 understanding. Again, we have a slower velocity uh, company, uh, or we're in a slower velocity uh, category. We're looking to grow. We have tons of ideas on how to do it, um, but getting the cash to to fund that is difficult. And then two you know, making sure we have a strong team that can execute mm-hmm. against that so that all of the activities aren't just falling on me. Um, so cash and and bandwidth are the two biggest uh, hurdles to, to to our growth for sure. 
Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that, Kamal. And it's also such very, it's it's a very powerful statement. You know, it's not just all rainbows and butterflies. If you're really looking at building a business, particularly in the food business, you need to have that mental and financial fortitude. Now, before I ask the final question, I want to do a quick recap of some of the highlights that I thought would be very relevant to fellow founders like you. The first one is at the beginning, make sure that you have consciousness about your brand. Take care of your brand. And by doing that, you have to focus on your locality and understand that your brand will evolve anyway. And part of it would really be leveraging design to find a stronger differentiator for, for your product aside from the integrity of the emotional aspect of, of your brand. Another one would really be focusing on getting consumer feedback from customers, sort of your MVP, your minimum viable product, uh, before you even expand into uh, going into product development mode. Make sure that you have early acceptance through local touch points. So even if you're the business owner, I love what you said. If your idea sounds good to you, but there's not going to be a market acceptance, might as well stay that at the back uh, back end of the shelves, right? Um, and then... Part of the strategy also at the beginning that other founders can consider would be retail-first strategy, but focusing on the smaller distribution spaces. And it doesn't necessarily have to be like the big ones right away, but at least focus first, hustle up, and it usually is going to take you at least about 12, 18 months, depends on how much you hustle, right? And several touch points and persistence that you really need. In terms of your perspective in D2C, it's, it's going to be difficult and expensive, but you can get big wins. And one way of approaching it is using it as a trial skill. So I really love that. And before thinking about really growing, you have to understand your operations, like what's the foundation of, of your operations. So really understanding that before you even take a look at um, really growing it. In your case, it's about four years and it sounded to me that you're such a humble founder and you're still considering yourself as in, in the learning phase. So you don't want to just take in, right? Take in uh, anything. As you said, I really love that. You, you chew the elephant pieces by pieces. You don't want to be, right. right? right? Taking what more than what you can. And finally, it's really understanding capital structure and funding nuances. So this might be true to others. Two of the main challenges that you'd have to be ready for would be your cash requirements and your operational bandwidth. Whatever the case would be, Life doesn't stop, so you have to keep going. So I really love that, right, Kamal? Anything you want to add to that, please? No, that's great. That's a great synopsis. I think, yeah, I mean, you know, I think more than more than more than I've ever had to, I've had to really self-evaluate. And so this has been a great experience starting this business. And I think any entrepreneur, um, you're gonna have to do a lot of self-reflection. And and so you're gonna impact your life, your family's life, your friends' lives. Um, and all for, in most cases, you're going to be the only person that can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, so making sure that you're prepared for that and, and have, again, that, that mental fortitude to kind of see it, see it, you know, all the way through is very key. Um, I can't emphasize that enough. I think that's a perfect segue to my final question to you, Kamal. Entrepreneurship is really, really hard. It's difficult, right? So what is your big why as a founder? Yeah, um, it's it's a great question. I think for me, you know, we go back to the reason why I started the business. It's because I saw that there wasn't a ton of representation for my culture in the grocery store. Um, so, you know, I I know that even though folks may may look at the sauce and think it's just sauce, I mean, for me, it's it's a platform again that can that can grow into something else, even if it's not my brand. 
maybe my brand sets the path for a different brand to come in and and kind of you know or other brands opens the door for other brands and so you know 10 years 15 years down the line we go down the store and it looks like every aisle looks like the international aisle um which would be amazing right and so that's my why it's that i want to really create something that helps to bring representation to a culture that i i love um beyond that i just you know the there's a reason why there's so many people now that want to be entrepreneurs right as as difficult as it is it's such a liberating and freeing experience. Um, I always say I I loved my job prior to this. I absolutely loved it. I love product development. I loved every aspect of it. But my hardest day, I wouldn't trade my hardest day here at Hillside for my hardest day at Keurig because I'm in complete control. Um, and as bad as things may get and as challenging as things may get, I know that, you know, this is what I chose to do. These were my decisions. And so um, it's as, as difficult as it is, it's also liberating and I love it. I'm I'm addicted. I can't go back. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, Kamal. That's so powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that. You know, this has been amazing, Kamal, but I'd like us to go now to the last segment of the show, which I call the finish line. It's the lightning round where I have five questions that I want you to answer as concise as possible. Are you ready? Ooh. That's going to be challenging. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> okay, first one. Characteristic that an entrepreneur must have to succeed. Um, uh, flexibility. Things Second. Are never gonna go, yep, right. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> no, Sorry. things are never going to go correctly. So just being flexible. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, love it. Second, book that you want to recommend for entrepreneurs to read. Ooh, um... I'll have to pass on that one. I haven't read a book since I started. <laughs> okay, okay, fair enough. Or any any resource that you might want to suggest to you other know, founders. You know, Not necessarily a book. You know what? So I I love the pitch. I just got into uh this this podcast, the pitch, and not for anything other than just it it helps you frame how other businesses are are pitching theirs and the questions that um that that VCs or angels are are asking. And so I love I love that podcast. Not to not to plug another podcast on a podcast. I apologize. <laughs> fair but, enough. Fair but, enough. <laughs> but just in terms of just getting an education on on what other you know what people are looking for when trying to invest in your business, I think is great. Yeah. Okay. But I Next. have a, I have a stack of books that I need to read. I apologize. I haven't read in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. I can imagine how busy you are being a one man band right now. Okay. The the next question, Kamal. I want you to complete this sentence. Success is success is realization of of your happiness and knowing when you've completed or achieved your happiness. Love it. If you're not an entrepreneur not now right now, what would you be instead? I would honestly, I'd be a product developer probably at Keurig. I love the job. It was amazing. <laughs> Great. It's really product development for you. And finally, yeah, yeah. I know it's hard, but why do you think someone should start his or her own? healthy food and beverage brand. Yeah, I think again, I think you you gain a level of freedom that you can't probably gain in you know everyday life and you're also typically, you know, if you're if you're if your brand is a healthy food brand, you can you can know that you're doing something to improve, you know, the the category or the space or the you know or people in general and I think there's, you know, as hokey and as cliche as it may sound, you can really get behind that and feel happy and go to bed at night knowing that you're doing something that large organizations don't have time to do. 
and aren't going to do. And they need entrepreneurs like us to do it. So thank you so much, Kamal, for all your answers. I appreciate you taking time to be here, sharing your story and insights. This has really been amazing. But before I let you go, can you please tell us where's the best place for people to learn about you and Hillside Harvest? Yeah, you can go to hillsidesauce.com or watch us on um, Instagram and Facebook at Hillside Harvest Sauce. Yeah, we'll make sure to link those up in our show notes. And once again, Kamal, thanks for being here. We wish you all the best and may God bless you. Hey there, CPG founders. Are you tired of trying to figure out what's really driving consumers to choose and buy better for you food and beverage CPG products? If you answered yes and want to get into the minds and hearts of your customers, then we have something for you. You should check out our free ebook, Cracking the Code, where you can find six core insights that motivate consumers to buy products like yours. This is available for a limited time only, so be sure to get your copy now. Go to your browser and type in thevineyardbc.com/freebook. That's the vineyardbc.com slash freebook.